It's not a very sexy uh, SDG, but it's probably the most important SDG because ultimately, if we don't get this one right, every other SDG is going to collapse because this one is the one that allows the, uh, the Earth's life support system to continue to be maintained. Uh, and if um, and if we don't get this one right, then we revert back to, you know, a very, we revert back to a completely different world, one that is very unstable. And, you know, it's not one that is going to be very geopolitically stable, that's for sure. Hello, and welcome to Impact Adventures, where each week we bring you stories of entrepreneurs and investors who are creating and supporting businesses that make our world a more sustainable place. We're focused on showing how the incredible power of the capital markets can also be used for good. Our first season is a deep dive into the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, a roadmap for human, animal, and environmental improvement by 2030. We're exploring one goal at a time to give advisors and investors understanding and inspiration about the possibilities of investing with their values. Are we ready to explore some profit? Yes. And some purpose. Right on. Then it's time for our next adventure. The man you heard at the start of this episode, who declared that achieving sustainable development goal number nine will be essential to life as we know it, is Ibrahim Al-Husseini. He is a sustainability-focused entrepreneur and philanthropist with 25 years of experience using clean technology and natural resources-related investments to advance social change. We'll hear a lot more from him shortly, but first, let's talk about what this ominous-sounding SDG number nine is all about. UN Goal Writers crafted number nine to focus on sustainable industrialization. It is designed to build a resilient infrastructure, promote inclusive development, and foster innovation. It's a goal that one can't help but wish was around 200 years ago as the global north began its massive industrial revolution. Among the goal targets is that by 2030, infrastructure is upgraded and retrofitted to be sustainable, where it uses natural resources more efficiently and uses clean and environmentally sound technologies and processes. That includes everything from transportation and energy generation to creating clothing and other textiles that are produced and consumed sustainably, where reuse and recycling is part of business models and societal norms. In the least developed nations, it includes efforts to connect the 4 billion people who don't have internet access or providing loans and other financial services through technology. Ibram isn't the only person who considers SDG 9 essential to our future. Here's Erica Karp, an influential financial advisor and friend of Investment News who understood 20 years ago the role that finance needs to play in supporting sustainable industrialization. SDG number nine is a biggie. So when we think about infrastructure and whether we call it critical infrastructure or not, how we define infrastructure, it's not just roads and tunnels and bridges. Infrastructure, if you go even broader, I would describe as governance to some degree. And when we talk about ESG, governance, the G, is first among equals. If a company is not looking at environmental and social issues around its um, its industry and its, its, um, its business lines, well, then it's not well governed, like period. So anyway, when I think about infrastructure, it is how we define it. And we do define it more broadly. Arguably, education, critical infrastructure, 
housing, critical infrastructure, you know, obviously broadband. Um, so um, we go way beyond, um, how should I put it? We go way beyond thinking about the, the obvious and move to the more subtle. And that relates to um, what infrastructure gives access to. And it's kind of everything. Um, and by the way, you know, I, I don't talk about politics, but it seems to me like infrastructure is, it should be um, incredibly uh, nonpartisan because the cool part is the jobs that are going to be created are going to be giving us an incredible multiplier effect, um, an economic, economic multiplier effect that's going to just create more jobs and more capital. And, um, and really, I don't think we can spend enough if we define infrastructure broadly. I really do believe that, that capitalism can be beautiful. Economics is, um, is poetry to me. And, and uh, finance is, you know, it can be magic. And of course, it can be black magic. And we've seen that too. So I know that all sounds really geeky, but it's true. And I do believe that capitalism in its most basic form, um, when we think about, you know, optimizing an individual's contribution and hopefully growing the pie for everyone, um, I think it can be beautiful. But again, we have to get away from the type of capitalism that is, um, is extractive and, um, and exclusive. And that's what it's turned into. Um, but again, there, there's um, the issue we just talked about when it comes to, you know, ESG data and corporate uh, standards for disclosure. Those are about transparency. And so, you know, transparency really is transformational because then investors can know, you know, what they demand, what they're fighting for. There has been a lot of kind of black box stuff going on um, that, again, it makes capitalism really much less interesting. And, you know, face it, sometimes capitalism is not, um, it's not intuitive, right? So when we think about the way international trade works and why, you know, companies should um, do more of what they're great at, uh, even if some other company is uh, better at it in another region, right? So that competitive uh, structure for capitalism doesn't quite make sense. Um, but again, it works. It's actually, a, uh, there's a lot of logic to it. And you know what? I, ha I can't miss this opportunity. When it comes to logic, right, and capitalism, um, logic, by the way, this is from Einstein, logic can get you from point A to point B. But imagination can get you everywhere. And so if we combine the logic of capitalism and the imagination of, you know, Einstein or even, you know, lower life forms than, than him, um, we really can reform capitalism to a place where it's, you know, more uh, regenerative and more inclusive. We can have a kind of capitalism that allows for uh, a circular economy. And one day we can not even have the concept of waste. And um, that'll be really, really beautiful. Although we have to be imaginative and we have to be open-minded enough to talk about issues like uh, drinking water and toilet to tap, which um, maybe people don't want to talk about, but we need to. Um, toilet to tap. You all know from past episodes that I love water, but that's that's a whole different kind of water. 
Erica's right though. We all need to have our minds open up a bit more and we'll have to travel further along the impact investing journey before maybe all of us are ready to embrace every creative solution. Now let's check out a company that embodies sustainable development. Steve and I spoke with the head of Simplify Power. She believes that clean and affordable energy is fundamental to economic growth, social equity, and environmental sustainability. Essentially, it's crucial to building a global sustainable future. Now, Simplify is a for-profit company in California founded 10 years ago, and it's part of what is called the Unreasonable Impact Group, a United Nations program of companies that have committed to fulfilling the 17 SDGs. My name is Catherine von Berg. I am the CEO and founder of Simplify Power. We design and manufacture efficient, non-toxic energy storage and management systems uh, that seamlessly integrate renewable energy, uh, both on-grid and off, uh, to create energy security, uh, solve issues around access to energy, and really facilitate the transition to a cleaner energy economy. The core business for us is really innovations in energy storage solutions that by definition need to be scalable. So from small systems, kilowatt hours up to several megawatt hours. And the core business for us is really focused on empowering people and communities to generate renewable energy, generate their own power, store it and utilize it uh, when they need it on their terms. So taking the intermittency out of renewables when the sun sets and the wind stops blowing. And, and that was uh, very much an issue in 2010 when we founded. Fast forward 10, 11 years, intermittency is now every bit as uh, relevant to top-down centralized transmission and distribution, the grid as we know it. And batteries, customer-sighted, create energy security and really provide savings, uh, certainly to the greater economy, but also for individual homeowners, business owners, communities, hospitals, and schools. So we are very focused on these issues around security. Since founding, because we chose to execute on triple bottom line and because we chose to grow based on the efficacy of our technology, meaning revenue. And if we were not creating solutions that truly solved real world, real world problems with regard to access to energy, uh, then we would not be profitable and we would not grow. So we have not raised VC money. What that, that has done is forced us to be very disciplined fiscally in how we approach our business model, governance, uh, and the markets that we serve. And really starting in 2010, as a startup company, we began to devote 1% of revenue to high impact projects that very often were straight donations. Um, this really had to do with the core mission and the values of the company. And it also has to do with the fact that there is data available that demonstrates companies that really operate on a triple bottom line, people, planet, profit, 
are more successful, have a healthier bottom line. And more recent studies today demonstrate that companies with this approach are about 22% more profitable than companies that really only serve shareholder value and a more traditional model. The fact that we're a for-profit company and we're executing on a triple bottom line is very important to me and to everybody who comes to work with Simplify Power. The reason is we, we are focused on innovation. And again, that has to do with our technology, how we approach chemistry uh, and manufacturing uh, and our markets and distribution. But we are as focused on proving out that the triple bottom line does add to becoming a more profitable company and having a healthier bottom line. And again, there's this tendency to think that it's only large, very uh, well-established companies can execute on a triple bottom line. The fact that we can say from year one, 2010, when we founded, bootstrapping, not taking VC money on, and that we were able to dedicate 1% of our first year's revenue, which was very small, but then the second year and third year. And we are one of the few energy storage companies in the industry, certainly for years, that has been profitable, has been able to maintain margins, and has taken 1% of our overall revenue, not just our profit, but revenue overall and dedicated to high impact projects. The issue around sustainable industrialization and access to robust and really sustainable technologies, but also markets, it really has everything to do with what our company is about. Meaning when we founded in 2010, Uh, We chose specifically to turn away from the then industry standard lithium ion chemistry. And the reason for that primarily had to do with safety. The uh, predominant technology at the time in lithium ion was centered on cobalt. So uh, lithium cobalt oxide. And as the market has progressed more recently, NMC Uh, and NCA, and those chemistries also use cobalt. The reason cobalt is uh, something that we chose not to engage in is one, it's dangerous. So we look at energy storage as a way to create economic security uh, through backup power, removing intermittency, uh, whether it's renewable energies or intermittency having to do with the grid. But more fundamentally, too, as a company, we have really chosen to execute on the triple bottom line, or as it's called now, the integrated bottom line, where we're looking at a measure of success through people, planet, and profit. And the global supply chain around cobalt uh, has really been mired by child labor, forced labor, um, warlord Uh, activity, primarily out of the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo. Like Catherine, Ibrahim is passionate about aligning his life's work 
with sustainable development and innovative technologies. An avid scuba diver, the managing partner of Full Cycle Climate Partners, actually found his calling deep under the sea. I grew up as the son of refugees, Palestinian refugees in Saudi Arabia. And the city that we end up in, ended up in was a city called Jeddah uh, against the Red Sea. And so on weekends, I basically went scuba diving. And that was my love affair with nature because that the natural world down there was breathtaking. And after I moved to the United States, every time I'd go back and visit my folks, I'd go and dive in the same spot. And over time, I noticed a material degradation in the quality of marine life uh, to the point that my favorite scuba diving spot went from being lush and colorful and full of life to completely barren and dead and full of plastic, including even some used tires that were floating around. Um, so of course that woke me up because out of my, let's call it wealth accumulation stupor, because, you know, it felt a little meaningless to continue to accumulate wealth. If all the things that matter are going to eventually fade away, uh, not to be over dramatic, but if you really look at the science, what's the point of accumulating wealth on a planet that's well, maybe not a planet, a biosphere that's dying. So it's a, it felt like, it felt like a silly use uh, of my time. So I started to redirect my capital towards clean technology. Well, first thing I did is I ended up actually turning my home into climate university. And this is back in 2003 and gave every, you know, climatologist and, and PhD that was willing to take my money uh, a chance to come and educate me on what is going on with our biosphere, with the chemical balance on the planet, with climate change. And I started to develop my thesis around replacing the existing 19th and 20th century infrastructure that underpins our modern civilization that was never designed to reconcile the carbon math on the planet with their new 21st century clean counterparts. And it's been, and I've been refining that model from 2003 till about 2018, which accumulated with the launch of Full Cycle Climate Partners. Full Cycle invests in growth stage companies that have developed climate critical infrastructure technology. Institutional investors and family offices invest a million dollars or usually more with Full Cycle which is focused on speeding up the development of crucial technologies. We developed a, a model, a new model for finance, where we accelerate the deployment of what we consider climate critical infrastructure technology. And we do that through investing, uh, prioritizing investing in sustainable infrastructure that addresses the SLCPs versus CO2 emissions. SLCPs is an acronym that stands for short-lived climate pollutants. And what those molecules are, are they are things like nitrous oxide and methane and refrigerants. And those molecules are hundreds, sometimes thousands of times more heat trapping than CO2. In fact, they make up about 1% of atmospheric greenhouse gases, but are responsible for close to 42 to 43% of the warming. So per dollar invested, they produce the highest climate bang for the buck and allows us to prioritize where we invest in the first decades compared to future decades, because obviously we want to be able to slow down warming and we have a finite amount of money 
and you know, no matter who we are, even as a whole uh, investing community, and we want to make sure that we get the highest climate return on investment, and that's what we prioritize at Full Cycle. So if we invest in a technology, uh, let's say we invest a million dollars in a technology that um, abates CO2 emissions, that is fantastic. But the if we invested in a that same dollar in a technology that abates the same amount of methane molecules, we get 86 times more uh, heat trapping gases out of the atmosphere than we would if we invested in the CO2 version. So it's just a different nuanced understanding. And remember, heat begets heat, right? So the hotter it gets, the more glaciers recede, the more land and sea ice melts, the more, you know, dark. So uh, ice and snow reflect sunlight back into space which is, you know, a, a cooling mechanism. Once we, ex the more land and sea we expose to the sun's radiation, the, 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 the hotter our planet's going to get. So what we want is right now we need to prioritize every, where every dollar is going to start slowing down that process. Every one of our technologies has to be able to abate a minimum of one gigaton or more at full deployment. Some of them can abate four to seven gigatons at full deployment, but the minimum threshold they have to reach is a gigaton or more. Uh, the second thing is they have to be market ready. Uh, as you know, you know we're, we, we love venture capital in America and so much wealth has been created through venture capital, but infrastructure, high capex, uh, climate tech, is not the right, venture capital is not the right model for those types of businesses, partially because A, they're extremely expensive and they don't produce returns in the time frame that venture capitals expect. And they take, a, most importantly, they take a long time to commercialize, you know, sometimes decades. So if you think about it pragmatically, you know, if we have a fire that's approaching our backyard, you know, we have to distribute buckets and hoses to everybody and start putting it out, not gathering together and investing in new firefighting technology. It's too late for that. So it's not quite the right model. So we only choose market-ready technologies. One of the companies that FullCycle has invested in is called Sonova. It delivers on the promise of waste circularity by converting all types of trash, including plastic, into clean energy, fuel, high-value chemicals, or virgin plastic feedstock, all without fossil fuels. Never before have we been able to take our dirty waste stream, which is the vast majority of our waste stream, including plastic, paper, banana peels, you name it, and turn it into new building blocks of material uh, at economics that work for every market. You hear about some projects here and there that exist for very rich jurisdictions and they make mares look really good but these are vanity projects they don't they only work for places like berlin and san francisco because they're not really commercially viable without subsidies and grants and all kinds of other schemes uh, that is never going to be a global solution um, so what this technology does is it delivers uh, on the promise of circularity finally, 
but does it at economics that work as well for Jakarta and Cairo as they do for Berlin and New York and San Francisco and Stockholm? So it is, you know, it does it more efficiently. It does it with a smaller footprint. It does, it checks off all the boxes, but most importantly, it does it at economics such that we can tra transform our relationship to waste instead of, you know, just address it with, you know, a little sprinkle here and there. Then, you know, we get to close all landfills in all nations and stop this flow of plastics into the ocean and, you know, end this kind of scourge on the human story and on the natural world. Uh, most people don't realize that this idea of a quote-unquote sealed sanitary landfills, which is only a solution for about 30% of the world, 70% of the world doesn't even have a uh, sanitary solution to waste. So, um, so that's, you know, they have open pits that all break down into methane and go up into the atmosphere uh, and add to the uh, add to global warming or break down into leachate and go and pollute our uh, our natural water. Protecting the globe's natural systems as humans continue to industrialize and develop brings us right back to the whole aim of SDG number nine. We're the only species that produces waste in an open loop system. Nature has no waste. The waste from one system is the food of another. So all we do is we just borrow, you know, re regenerative capacity from the future and we, you know, pounce on uh, parts, you know, uh, the, of the natural world and we extract it. And when we're done extracting, we move on to other parts. So we are going to run out of earth and we're going to run out of, uh, you know, life support system, life support system capacity of this only planet that can sustain us. So, you know, it, unless we upgrade our ability as a civilization in our cities, in our towns to live in harmony with the natural world, we're eventually going to perish. So whether we like that or not, that's just that's just math. It's not a very sexy uh, SDG, but it's probably the most important SDG because ultimately, if we don't get this one right, every other SDG is going to collapse because this one is the one that allows the, uh, the Earth's life support system to continue to be maintained. Uh, and, if, um, and if we don't get this one right, then we revert back to you know, a very, we revert back to a completely different world, one that is very unstable. And, you know, it's not one that is going to be very geopolitically stable. That's for sure. Investment in infrastructure and innovation are crucial drivers of development and economic growth. And they're key to finding lasting solutions to the planet's economic and environmental challenges. Using capitalism to promote sustainable industries and invest in innovation? Now that's an impact adventure we can really get behind. Here's Erica Karp again with the last word. I think about the legacy of, of capitalism and um, I'll, I'll, uh, a quote from, from Shakespeare. Uh, there is no legacy so rich as honesty. Now I really love that because when we talk about capitalism and when we talk with families, you know, the, the idea of being really transparent and really authentic and really honest. Um, you know, this is, is what comes up 
and framing that around the SDGs is really helpful, you know, and I, I, I should reiterate the idea of authenticity. It is so demanded and it is so deserved by next generation investors because the reality is this last generation has mortgaged their future by the way that we have um, utilized uh, limited resources. And so they deserve transparency and authenticity and accountability. And, um, and, you know, again, I think that's the least we can do to help repair the world. That's all for Impact Adventures today. We're actually taking a little break next week to celebrate the 4th of July, but we'll be back with a new episode on July 12th, looking at ways to reduce inequalities with SDG number 10. Please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple, and leave a review. We would love your feedback. Not enough of you get back to us. Please do so. Actually, we want to know what you like and what you think needs improving. If you know of an impact story that we need to tell, send it our way. I'm on Instagram at the Lamb Co. And Liz is there at Liz Skinner underscore. You can tweet me at Slim Slam or Liz at Skinner Liz. Our email is podcast at investmentnews.com. And remember, folks, life is an adventure, so you might as well make an impact.